All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into Good Ranchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick in order to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to Making the Argument. And we have a, uh, a special show today. You'll notice that me and Queen of the Bees have our uh, special mugs, our special relationship mugs. Um, we're going to be talking about the questions that you must ask. These are like non-negotiables. You got to ask these questions before you marry her or him. And most importantly, if you stick around, because we're, we're not only going to be going through some of the questions that Tina and I have come up with, we're going to be taking your questions as well, but I'm going to answer for you. Yes, I say this with complete confidence. I'm going to answer for you the one way you absolutely know, without any doubt, they are the one. Stick around, and I will give you that answer. All of that and more coming up on this episode of Making the Argument. I think there's a lot of value that I will be getting from this conversation, but thank you all for joining us on today's episode of Making the Argument, and if you're live with us on the Nick Freitas channel or the Making the Argument channel, thank you very much. If you haven't already, go down and hit subscribe. For all of our audio people and video people, we have a link to our community chat in the description. We hope you will go there and join. We've been having some great conversations with our members there. We look forward to meeting you there. All right. I am your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates, but other than that, a reasonably good guy. But for today, I'm going to be focused more on the fact that I've been married for 24 years. Same girl. Got married at 19. Father of three children. And so that's part of my bona fides for this conversation. With me across from the table, a woman who needs no introduction, and yet we will do it anyways. Queen <laughs> of the bees, my bride, Tina. Hello, everyone. And then we have... Our political prognosticator and resident historian, Christian Hines. I'm here to just listen and be silent. <laughs> <laughs> and then our producer, our producer, Nicholas Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking. I'm not going to be silent, but I'm sure there's a lot I can learn as well. All right. Well, and I'll just go ahead and kick all of this off with uh, ladies. If you're looking, the boys here are single. Just saying. All you single ladies. All right. <laughs> so. Here's what we're going to do first is we do in pretty much, or we try to do with, with everything we talk about, we're going to define our terms. And so some of the things we've, we've already talked about in previous episodes, we're not going to try to go over all of that all over again, but we do need to right up front, tell you where we're coming from. All right. So there's no, there's no tricks here. We're going to tell you exactly what we believe, why we believe it. So the first thing we're going to say is there's a few issues that we believe Tina and I both believe because we've, we've worked on this together are absolute deal breakers in the form that they're, they're fundamentals. They're things that you should absolutely know ahead of time 
um, before you even start going down the path of, of a, a serious relationship, before you even start considering whether you marry someone. And Tina and I are both of the opinion that the, the only reason you date is to decide whether or not this person is someone that you can marry. But these two questions should be asked before you ever start to kind of build uh, like real emotional connections with another person. The first one is your religious worldview. Now, this is something where people get upset all the time. They think you're intolerant. They think you mean. You think you're, you're overly prioritizing it. Again, I, I'm going to tell you right now, if you have fundamentally different religious beliefs, I'm not talking about someone that grew up in the Methodist church and someone that grew up in the Presbyterian church, right? I'm talking about fundamentally different, diametrically opposed religious beliefs. I don't think you should get married. I don't think you should get married. And we're going to go over that later. The second one, oh, and let me, let me highlight why that is. It's because... When you get married, you are now going to be facing challenges together, solving problems together, you know, hopefully one day raising children together. And your religious worldview is providing a foundation for objective truth and objective morality. And, and if, again, you and your potential spouse have a diametrically opposed worldview or one that contradicts one another, that means you are going to approach right and wrong very differently, and that gets even more confusing when you're raising children. Now, the second category that we've talked about before that I think is also important, not as important as the first one that I just mentioned, not even close, but also important, has to do with kind of a general political worldview. Now, some people look at this and they get really upset. Like, what? I'm not saying you both got to belong to the same political party. I'm not saying you both got to care about politics. I'm not even saying for a lot of people, they just don't consider an issue. But the reason why I say the politics tends to matter is kind of a reflection of the religious worldview in the sense is that it gives you some indication of how you approach problem solving, concepts of responsibility, truth, you know, all of those things. And once again, when you start raising children, you start getting asked fundamental questions because you're helping them develop their worldview and transferring that worldview along with how to critically think about it. If kids are coming to you and they're getting contradictory answers from mom and dad, that is horribly confusing. So please understand what I mean here. I don't mean you got to belong to the same political party. I don't mean you always got to vote for the same person. I just mean that there needs to be some coherence between your worldview, first and foremost, with religious values, and then secondly, with kind of a general approach to problem solving and, and the proper role of individual, family, church, civic organization, and the state, right? Those, those are important questions to be answered. So make sure you're, you're in line. On the first one, I think you have to be absolutely online on a fundamental level. On the second one, you, you really should be pretty close. Otherwise, I think you're going to run into major problems. All right, so that's, that's kind of the first two things we've talked about that we're not going to get into. What we're really going to focus on today is fundamentals, which we already kind of talked about, deal breakers, right? Duties and responsibilities, and expectations versus preferences, right? So that's kind of the framework of what we're talking about. We're going to talk about some red flags in there. We're going to talk about effective communication as well as kind of observing and seeing how people react to situations, body language, but then also sitting down and asking one another specific questions and please be honest with one another. Not because everything you lay out in that initial conversation when you're thinking about getting engaged is going to stay exactly the same. Not that all of your preferences or expectations are going to be exactly met, but it gives you a framework to operate from. All right. With that, I think I've, I think I've laid the proper groundwork. Babe, is there anything to add? 
I think I think you did a great job, honey. Yeah, you're darn right I did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so a couple of things that we want to talk about. Um, now, d- does this work? I-, I will say this. Again, Tina and I have been married for, for 24 years now. Um, we met in high school, 19 and 20 when we got married. And for the first 10 years of our marriage, I think we moved like seven times. In the first 11 years, we moved 13 times. 13 times in the first 11 years. I was gone for pro- effectively probably half of the first 11 Off years and of on marriage. about half of that time. Okay. And the reason for this, the reason for this was obviously I was in the military. Um, and then when September 11th happened, there was a lot of, there was both combat deployments, there was training deployments, there was schools I had to go through. And on average, the first 11 years, I was either gone for deployments, training, or uh, combat deployments about half of our marriage. And, and we had all three of our kids while we were in the military so we had our, 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 Lily was born when we were stationed in Hawaii in 2001. Uh, she was born in 2002. Yep. Um, and then Luke and Allie were both born when I was stationed at Fort Lewis, Washington, or excuse me, uh, Allie and, uh, yeah, Luke and Allie were born when I was stationed at Fort Lewis, Washington with uh, First Special Forces Group. Yep. And so, you know, we, we know what it's like to miss Christmases, anniversaries, birthdays, you know, firsts and, and all that stuff. The reason why I point that well, out. I don't. I was there for all of it. But, uh, <laughs> but you do. You know what it's like. Well, and, the, and the reason why we point this out is because it can be easy to look at. And, and the other thing I also want to point out is Tina and I both came from families of divorce. So Tina's parents got divorced and remarried. My parents got divorced, remarried, divorced again um, with their, you know, other spouses. So I, I don't want anyone to think that we just grew up in this kind of I, I idealized um, environment where everything was kind of perfectly modeled and we just we it just, wasn't a Hallmark special. It was not. It was not a Hallmark special. But that by the way, I lied when I said I'm here to to <laughs> listen and be silent. But I am here to listen and learn. Yeah. Um. And, and the reason that I asked that is because, um, for a lot of people, myself included, like I I grew up in in divorced households. And I'm really, really lucky that my step parents were actually great step parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they brought the best out of my biological parents. But for a lot of people, they grew up in an environment that really wasn't the Hallmark special, right? And and so they might look at somebody like you, Nick, and be like, well, Nick, you've got the, you know, perfect family. You've got, you know, the kids and and, and every like, like, it sounds like it all worked out for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how could I take what you're going to say and run with it? Because it seems like that, you know, fate dealt you a perfect, you know, a pair of aces or something like yeah, that. Yeah, no, I, there, there was a lot of, well, and here's the, here's the great part. And this, this is something I think Tina and I will both emphasize. It's not that, um, it's not that there wasn't a lot of work that we put into that. And we were trying to be very deliberate about certain things. It's more of, and, and I mean this like <laughs> there, but by the grace of God go I, right? Like I, I am very, very, I, I feel very blessed in my marriage and with my children and with my family. Um, by the same token, I think what was interesting was, was certain fundamental rules that, that we applied. And like we said before that, the first fundamental was our, our, our biblical worldview of marriage. And the reason why I bring that up, because I know we have some listeners that think I bring it up too much, but I, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like if, if, if I'm going to answer this question, I have to include this as part of the answer because nothing else will suffice. The reason why that was so important, I believe, to our marriage, and, and I'll let Tina speak uh, for, on her thoughts on it as well, obviously. But when, when we talk about things like how do you make decisions, how do you solve problems together as a married couple, um, how do you answer 
you know, important questions about how you're going to raise your children or what roles and those duties and responsibilities we're going to get into. What, what are those all playing? The real question to some level too, there is a question of, you know, this concept of who is the head of the household. And, and a lot of people, I think, misunderstand what that actually means, at least within our worldview. But one of the reasons why that was so important for both of us is because even though we do take a view that the husband is supposed supposed to play a leadership role within a marriage, that doesn't mean it's dictatorial, right? That that religious worldview supersedes my authority. Well, it's based on scripture. And yeah. um, it, when people talk about, oh, you know, wives submit to your husbands and they talk about that whole scripture, no one really pays attention. Well, if you're intellectually honest, you pay attention, but a lot of people don't pay attention to the next portion of that, of husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And the burden there for the husband is to sacrifice his life for his wife. That is his burden. Her burden is to submit. His is to die. (laughs) It's a big difference. Well, and I I think that you know, what, not what, saying he has to actually die. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's that he has to lay his own wants and desires down for what's going to be best for his family and his spouse. Well, and I think so. So the two questions that Tina and I talked about, like when, when we started getting serious about um, contemplating marriage, the first question had to do with that biblical worldview. And the reason why is because it provides an objective standard for truth within a relationship that is outside either one of us. Which means if I do something wrong and she can demonstrate to me why it's wrong, I don't get to say, well, I'm in charge or I'm the man or I like it this way or I make the money. I don't get to say any of that. I'm wrong. And my job at that point is to recognize it, repent, apologize, and correct my behavior. Right? And the same thing applies to Tina. So having that objective moral standard that both of you agree to is incredibly powerful when you get into inevitable conflict resolution because neither person ends up having the capacity to lord over or be tyrannical to the other. So that that's why that first thing is so important. But I, I want to get into what Tina brought up too, is that this and kind of what I brought up as well, this whole concept of leadership. And I want to tell this this story because we we asked this question. I said, I asked Tina, like, what is your expectation? for me as a husband in our, in our relationship. And one of the first things Tina said was, is you need to be able to lead, you know, spiritually within the household. You, you need to be like, she had that expectation of me. You, you need to be able to lead. Now, anyone that knows Tina knows it is because she is not devoid of leadership capability or personality traits, or because she doesn't know who she is and she needs to be directed very, very, you know, powerful, you know, independently minded in the sense that she, she doesn't like, if I died tomorrow, it's not that Tina wouldn't know what to do, but she had that expectation of me. And and I want to, I want to illustrate this um, by a quick story. I was on an airplane once and um, I'm fiddling around or or I'm I'm reading a book and it's a, it's a night flight and there's this uh, woman sitting next to me and she's got these papers out and she's kind of shuffling through them. And it's obviously important. And she's, She's trying to get her light to work and it won't work. And so I said, hey, listen, I said, do you, do you need to read this paperwork? Do you want to switch seats? And she goes, yeah. And so we strike up a, a real brief conversation. She goes, well, yeah, I'm, I'm on my way to a job interview. This is kind of a big opportunity. I just got married. And I said, hey, I said, I just want to tell you being married is wonderful. I said, I, I know how much culture kind of denigrates marriage and treats it like it's a drag. And I just want to encourage you that marriage is great. 
And she goes, well, how long have you been married? And at that time I'd been married about 15 years. And she looks at me and she goes, we don't look that different in age. And I said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, whatever, 30, I think it was 33, 34. And she goes, oh gosh, she goes, yeah, I'm, I'm about to turn 30. And she looks at me, she goes, how do you make it work? And I look back and I said, I said, do you really want to know? And she goes, uh, yeah, I guess. I said, the only reason I'm asking. She probably thought you were going to say something really yeah, weird yeah, yeah, like, or really profound at that yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 you've got to join my pyramid scheme. No. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard of Jonestown? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, so I, I feel bad oh, for this gosh. girl. But I looked at her, I said, I said, we have a biblical world worldview of marriage. And she goes, what does that mean? Which is kind of interesting to me that she, that's the way she asked the question. And one of the things we talked about was leadership. And she asked me, she goes, and I said, well, like for instance, I have the responsibility of the head of my household. And she goes, why does somebody have to be in charge? Why does someone have to be the head? And that was a very good question, right? Like she, it wasn't like she was like, well, I don't believe that. Or those are traditional gender roles, or I don't buy, I don't buy into that patriarchal. No, she just said, she just asked a simple question. Why does someone have to lead? And I said, it's a great question. I said, can I ask, can I ask you something? When you got married, did you say till death do us part? And she said, yeah. I said, did you mean it? She was, yeah, I did. I said, okay, what happens when two people disagree? Like you, you have a significant disagreement. This isn't something about where to go and eat. You have a big disagreement that includes moving across the country, which is something that happened to us. So like, you, you have a big, big disagreement. What happens if you don't agree? I said, because I can count on, on one hand. I said, Tina and I have been through, and I went through the whole thing. We've been this many moves. We have three kids. I've been through two combat tours. I spent the first half of our 11 years married away from home. Like we, we've been through it. And I can count on one hand the number of times we've had a disagreement where we didn't come to some sort of compromise where both of us said yes. And then there's been maybe a couple of times where she had to say, I don't agree, but I trust you. And she followed. I said, if you don't establish who has the burden of that responsibility, then when you have a disagreement that you can't get around or compromise through, you break up. I said, so that's why it's important. I said, but here's what you need to understand about the reason why she agreed to that is not simply because she, she likes me or thinks I'm a good leader. It's because she knows I am bound. I am bound by a worldview which tells me that the moment I assumed that leadership in getting married, the moment I assumed it, her needs, her wants, her desires, her life above my own. That's, that's, what's that, that's the exchange that's going on here. Any man that tells you he's the head of his household, but the well-being of his wife and family does not supersede his own all the way up to and including his life for theirs doesn't understand the concept of what genuine biblical leadership means within marriage. And she looked at me and she goes, I didn't, I didn't know that. I said, it's because it hasn't been, it's because I will tell you right now, unfortunately, within a lot of people that claim to believe that, they haven't effectively adopted or actually executed that role. But that was one of the first questions Tina and I had to hammer out because if you're going to enter into a relationship that is supposed to last the test of time, right? Love conquers all, all the problems, all the, all the stress, everything. And you have not established what happens when we don't agree and we can't seem to agree. Who has the burden of leadership and what do you assume is your responsibilities for assuming that leadership? If you don't establish that first, you, you are going to be in for it. Because it turns out, as much as I, I, I absolutely love and adore my wife, we don't always agree. 
Nope. Nope. And, we and don't would you agree. be willing to give an example? Maybe in politics. Moving to Virginia. Who? Yeah. I have a feeling you were the one that wanted to move to Virginia because you're the history buff. I wanted to move to Virginia. We we had talked about. Um, we had talked about. It wasn't the overall move to Virginia. It was when we were moving mm -hmm. to Virginia. Uh, when I was getting out of the service, we were going to originally we were going to go back to California where all our family was, and I ended up getting a job for out here in Virginia. Well, I got a job in Colorado. Right. And then they, they sent me out to Virginia for something and, and I'd always wanted to- And then made it permanent. And yeah. the thing is, is that you have to understand why I had such a big struggle with this. Um, let me frame it up for you. Uh, we had just come off of 11 years of active duty service with Nick being away constantly. Mm -hmm. And we were living in a place where we had zero family. So I was raised, every single time he was gone, I was by myself 100% I did not have family who I could say, yeah. hey, could you watch the kids while I go grocery shopping? None of that. I did it all, every single bit of it. And um, and I was looking forward to the idea of having grandparents close by again. Mm -hmm. And I wanted that for my kids. And on the other side of it, my father was extremely ill. He needed a liver transplant, and I wanted to be close to him while he went through that process. So I had a lot of emotions tied up into and good reasons, my timing. Legitimate reasons. Right. Um, I will say now, looking back, I am so glad we moved when we did. We would not be on this podcast right now <laughs> yeah. in this room. No, no, we would have we would have been here eventually. <laughs> no, no, it's no, just but I, I'm glad we didn't I'm glad we moved when we did because there were a lot of other factors at play that were unforeseen. Yeah. Um, that I feel like we would have encountered there being there. Wh and what things I we we did here that would never have happened if we if we didn't. What, what, what I meant by we wouldn't be on this podcast, though, is that like if you guys hadn't moved when you did, there's absolutely no guarantee that like that's true. Nick oh, yeah. and I yeah, would have ever true. met or well, so that, any of that stuff. Yeah. Right? That, so that was the first thing that we really handled. That first question was like, what what do we see as the responsibilities between the husband and the wife with respect to that decision making process? And what were her expectations and what were mine? I, I think the next thing that we really talked about was the whole idea of the breadwinner. Um it was what were the expectations for who was going to be the primary earner in in the house and i think if i if i remember the conversation correctly what we talked about is i said well i see it as my responsibility to be the primary earner that doesn't mean that i don't think my wife can earn it doesn't mean that i don't think my wife um can have a job outside the house but again i you know i grew up with a single mom that worked very hard it was it was natural to me but I, my goal was, I said, I should make enough, my, my objective, I want to be able to make enough to where if my wife, especially once we have kids, doesn't want to work outside the home, wants to work exclusively inside the home, because it is work either way. Yeah. It is work either way. If she wants to work exclusively inside the home, then my goal is to make enough money to facilitate that. I think there are a lot of men, Christian and I's age, who are very excited by the idea of a two-income household. What would you tell men our age who are looking forward to that or planning for that? I think, well, and, and I don't want to dominate this, but so first of all, I, I think it is very important that when men are, especially when you're kind of in like in your high school years, you need to be thinking of in terms of um, the first thing I need to do when I graduate is to be able to take care of myself. 
I, I think I think we do a huge disservice to our children. It's a little bit off talk. I think we do a huge disservice for our children by telling our children that they should expect the parents to fund their college. Yeah. Um, Degree. doesn't mean parents can't help. doesn't mean they're, they're in appropriate places. But if you teach your child to expect it, I think it actually increases their adolescence to a degree that is, is completely unhealthy. I, I think as the older kids get, they should be assuming greater responsibilities. And I think we should be training our sons that one day they are going to be responsible not only for taking care of themselves, but they should see themselves as being in a position to be able to take care of their family. Yeah. And so developing those, those, um, those competencies, those marketable skill sets is a critical component of their, you know, intellectual development while they're, they're under your roof. Um, now at, at the point where you get married, when Tina and I first got married, I was an E2 in the army, which for those of you playing at home, I made like nothing, right? Tina first moved out uh, to North Carolina cause I was stationed at the 82nd airborne. And she was, I mean, as soon as she got there, she was looking for a job. Right, we got the apartment set up, and she was looking for a job. For the first three months, I think our take-home pay was twelve hundred dollars a month. Yeah. Like, and then yeah. when Tina got a job, the first couple of jobs you made at like Old Navy and stuff like that, like six hundred. Oh, I was bucks hardly making anything. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, but this was before the mega inflation. This was. It 99. doesn't matter. We were. Yeah. Uh, let me tell okay, you. Okay, so double the double the I, the dude. <laughs> I get that inflation was wasn't as big of a thing at that point. But let me tell you, we were scraping, scraping I, by. I have yeah. a follow-up to what Hamilton was saying because I don't think that it's that younger men are looking forward to a two-income household so much as they are coming to the realization that it is a necessity, not a desire. So I, Okay, so here, here's the thing. I think that... I think that is, I think there are things that have happened with respect to inflationary monetary and policy and things like that where you can make an argument that that's growing increasingly true. Um, I, I also think it's a question of what happens early on with, within a marriage. What Tina and I learned very early on in our marriage was that we could make it with very, very little money. Um, and then when we had kids, Tina was 23 um, when she was pregnant with Lily. And I was a staff sergeant at that point, so I, I was making a little bit more money, but it, it wasn't a lot. But we, because we kind of made that, we we never had a lot of money to begin with, and we didn't have an expectation for a lot of like nice fancy things. And then when we had kids, and and we immediately reverted into that role of like, okay, Tina's no longer going to be obligated. You know, we're we're not going to have a budget dependent upon her working outside the home. Now again, I'm a staff sergeant in the army. It's not like I'm rolling it. Yeah. Okay, but um. And the military does have some benefits. I don't want to, you know, healthcare and things like that. But the thing was, is that we set an expectation on and we stuck to it. And so our, our, our value propositions and the way that, you know, our entertainment budget and everything else looked probably very different than if we had both, you know, if we had sent the kids off to, you know, daycare or school and, yeah. and Tina had worked outside the home. Because once you get that additional, I will say this, and this is something we understand too. Once you get that additional income, it becomes very difficult. Your budget expands to meet your income unless you are very, very disciplined. Lifestyle creep. Lifestyle creep, bad. big time. If you are not disciplined on it, and we have not always been, 
right? I mean, we've never been like in a really, really bad, so like declaring bankruptcy, but we've been in situations where it's like, okay, yeah, we've overextended a little bit on this. We yeah, we've back. overextended ourselves before, but we've never made it somebody else's problem. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and, and then we did what it took to get back on top of things. You mean your family was not declared too big to fail? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, but, um, but again, there are a few questions coming yeah. in that are kind of interesting. Like in the chat, um, in the one over on the Nick Freitas side, uh, there were some questions about an atheist marrying a Christian. Um, I I chimed in. They they wondered why that would be a problem because they don't have a problem with it. This is somebody who is an atheist speaking. Um, and I mentioned that, that it's a deal breaker issue um, and therefore there is no compromise on a deal breaker issue. But you have to decide if that's a deal breaker issue for you. It may not be for other people, but to me it's built in conflict that will never resolve itself. Mm -hmm. And so even if the atheist can, can look at it and go, well, I'm okay with loving somebody who it follows, uh, God. Um, the person who has faith will forever be trying to convert you. You need to be understanding of that forever. They, because their goal, because of what they believe they believe that there is an eternity and they don't want that eternity without you. And in their mind, they want they want you to join them for eternity and they want to introduce you to Christ if they are a Christian and they will always do so. So if you don't want to hear about God all the time and have somebody always trying to convert you, maybe it's not going to be the best environment for you. But I will tell you, the for the atheist, it may not be such a problem. For the Christian, they will labor in prayer over you. They will grieve over you. And they will try desperately their entire relationship with you to convert you. And so that's why it's hard for a Christian to go that direction. It may be easier for the person going the other way, but it is always going to be hard for a Christian. I, I will, if if I will. they aren't trying to convert you. That's then they might not problem. be a Christian. <laughs> I, I, I would also I would also argue that again this goes back to the whole idea of the 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 fundamentals for things like conflict resolution. What are the rules? Where they like when when an atheist says love, they don't mean the same thing I mean. They just don't, and and it it doesn't mean that there aren't similarities with respect to certain concepts of desire or or whatnot. But when when a when a Christian says the word love, that means something that is different than what the atheist means or different than what somebody else means. Because Can in you our, elaborate in, just a little in bit? In the Christian worldview, um, God is the source of all love. And so you can't actually know what it is to even love unless you have first learned the love of Christ. And that's, and, and so there is a lot of things that, that look like love and there are loving ways to behave yeah. and there are emotions that feel like love. But, um, but, Truly love is self is sacrifice is being willing to sacrifice yourself for the other person. Yeah. So before you move on, um, because this was something that my parents went through. Yeah. Um, one of my, and, and they ended up getting divorced in part because of this, not entirely. Um, but one of my parents is a devout Christian. The other one is a devout atheist. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, completely diamet, completely diametrically opposed. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously it didn't work out. So, I mean, that's kind of evidence, at least from my point of view, of, of the truth of what you're speaking to. But um, w- what about these, like, gray areas? Because there's a lot of people, especially in, like, Hamilton and I's age group, that they, they, they're they not devout at all. Mm-hmm. 
and they might identify as as agnostic or yeah. irreligious, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're Richard Dawkins they're not Reddit hostile. atheist. Yeah, they're, there's, they're, they're not a hostile agnostic. They're confused yeah. or or unsure, but they're not necessarily dogmatic in So so here's the question I here's the question I would go through. Before you enter into what is arguably, you know, again, from my worldview, and that's where I'm speaking from, your most important relationship is with God. Your second most important relationship is with your spouse. Before you enter into the most important human-to-human relationship you will ever have in your life, it's probably a good idea to have some clarity with respect to what do you believe about objective truth, reality, morality, God, destiny, purpose, meaning, right? Like these are like, like I'm just saying, if you're just like, I just really don't know what I think about this, but man, this, this person, and I really love to water ski together. Maybe a great friendship opportunity. You might want to answer some of the more heavy questions before you enter into what is supposed to be a life long yeah. relationship where you're going to be responsible for creating other little people and raising them up. So all I'm saying is figuring that out is, is I believe very, very fundamental. It's very important on the front end. And so when we talk about deal breaker issues, that is by nature what they are. There is no compromise on it. That is a hard, fast rule for you. And that's that. So those are the questions that you need to ask yourself before you're ever looking at yeah. a, a, a potential uh, suitor. <laughs> uh, that's an old term. But anyway, um, <laughs> so you need to ask yourself, what are my deal breakers? What are these things that I absolutely will not compromise on? Like, you know, like I think wife beating is a deal breaker. <laughs> yes. Like if you think it should be okay for you to beat your wife and that's what they think. Well, for me, that's a deal breaker. I'd never <laughs> enter into that relationship. Listen, uh, and some of these are a lot more nuanced. Okay. Yeah. But, um, you need to look into those things and ask those questions before your heart gets involved. Don't get too attached before you ask those important questions, yeah. because once you're attached, you're going to try to find ways to make it okay. Well, and, and this, because the heart, like emotions, will lie to you. Yeah, this, this, yeah. This is one of the things. One of the things that Disney just screws up bad is like, oh, follow your heart. If you're a moron, I mean, it's like, sorry, I don't mean that to be flippant, but it's not that it's not that your heart doesn't, you know, guide you in the sense that, you know, your emotional connections and things like that. But if, if you're not, if you're not in, in <laughs> engaging your brain on these conversations as well, you're, you're going to get rolled up in this idea of lovey dovey feelings, which are nice. And I think a component of marriage, some of the greatest tragedies in, in history and also in fiction um, and with potential some overlap between those two involve people just following their heart. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my like, gosh. Ever heard of Troy? Yeah. Ever? <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure Hitler was following his heart. So <laughs> no, I, 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 no, no, I was thinking more in terms of, of attraction to somebody, yeah, yeah. but like the, the whole, the story of the Trojan okay. war starts with something like That's that. Well, let's, let's get into some, let's get into some. So these have been some deal breaker questions. I want to get into some preferential question preferences because this is, this is fun. This is the area where there's some there's some ability for compromise and things tend to kind yeah. of change over time. So, and Tina and I kind of established like okay, Nick, I want you know, your your job is going to be I'm going to expect you to be a leader with yeah. respect to this. So I'm going to respect you to be the primary breadwinner, which is good. I wanted those expectations. I wanted to fulfill those roles. Um how many kids do you want to have? Okay, so my answer to this question yeah. when Nick and I were discussing it, because I think this is an important thing. If somebody doesn't want kids, um, respect that and move on. Move to somebody who will yeah, have kids do. with you yeah. if you really want kids. 
maybe they'll change their mind, but chances are they like don't don't go into it hoping they'll someday change their mind that they want a kid. I want I want to say something real quick because I want you to this is another thing where we get into this. I want people to understand something. A lot of things that we're saying, especially on this section, we're not judging you. Like if somebody doesn't want to have kids, I, we're not sitting here judging like, well, why don't you want to move on? You never want to. We're not saying any of that. No. What we're saying is be honest with the person that you're going to potentially marry about what your objectives are, what your mm-hmm. desires are, what your pet peeves are. And, and if it's not a good match, that just means you're not a good match for each other. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. Yeah, you might be a great match uh, for there, somebody there else. There are plenty of people that I I have known who have decided not to have children and and it's a good thing for them not to. If if a person doesn't want children, they shouldn't have them yeah. because they might not be the best parents if they don't yeah. want the well, kids. Well, if they don't want the kids, then they're already starting on a wrong foot if they then have them. Yeah. Exactly. But, yeah. but I mean to Well, because your- as I like to say, kids Super fun to make, but man, they're a lot of work. <laughs> to, to, to your point about the whole children thing, it's it's more that you need to be, and, and I'm speaking as somebody that's single, but I know that I know this is true. I have like firsthand experience within my own family of this and also with, with my own uh, hopes and dreams if I have um, uh, ever get married is that like I want to have kids. And um, I know from my other family members that when they got married and they were not, in agreement with their spouse on that. I mean, the marriage has, from my point of view, a hundred percent failure rate Yeah, when that, because if, if it works it for either, either sex too, if the man or the woman is the one that really wants the kid, but then the other one doesn't, it, 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 it does not work out because men and women have this drive, not, not all of them all the time, but yeah. they largely have this drive to want to have children. Yeah. And if they're in a relationship where they have the ability to do that, but then their spouse doesn't want it, that that is just a huge, that that's a point of contention that biologically yeah. is as, as biologically impactful as the religious and theological and political and philosophical worldview mm-hmm. that you talked about at the beginning of this podcast. Yeah. Because that's one of the most consequential things you'll do as a husband and wife is raise kids. It is. And the answer to that question is actually a good indication of a lot of other factors. So depending on the reason why the person doesn't want any kids, there could be really solid reasons for that. I've known people who didn't want kids because they had genetic disorders that they didn't want to pass on. Mm-hmm. Um, I've known people who didn't want to have kids because kids are a drain on the finances and they wanted to live a certain status of lifestyle. Um, and then, uh, I've known people who didn't want to have kids because they endured horrible abuse as a child and they were afraid of being a parent. So when that question is asked, the next question needs to be why? Yeah. Because if you're willing to go, okay, we won't have kids then because that's how important you are to me. You also need to know why that is because there could be some other things that really need to be dealt with under the surface. Well, and you don't get to, and this is the other thing. It, it may be that you, because I, I, this is this is such a critical part um, that Tina just brought up. And an answer to a question like that um, especially depending on where you are within your relationship and your communication may not be entirely honest, or it may only tell half the story. 
And so sometimes it is important to kind of probe a little bit. By the same token, you can have someone that says, oh, yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to have kids. But then every time you're around kids, they kind of act like they're icky and they need to go away. Mm -hmm. Now, they may feel very different about their own kids than they do everybody else's, right? That happens too. But it's important to kind of watch what's going on and probe a little bit. If someone says, I just really don't want to have kids, there may be, there may be a, a very legitimate reason based off of their background and their history. And that's stuff you need to know, not just for the kids question, but for everything else. Because if, if this is the person that, you know, this is not a deal breaker issue for you, then you're going to need to know how to actually support this person because there, there's trauma associated with this answer that is, is going to be present in other areas as well. And, and two things, you, you, one, you need to be prepared for that. Two, you also need to understand that if you're willing to say in that moment, it, it, that's okay, I, I, I would rather be with you, than, you better mean it. Because you don't get to hold it over their head for the rest of their life as something. Now, they may change their mind. They may come around. They may decide once they've been in a healthy relationship with you. But you don't get that expectation later on. You still have to understand that you agreed to this. And if that person changes their mind, that's fine. But you don't get to badger them with it when they told you what their, their position was. And by the same token, if you end up marrying somebody who does who who isn't against having kids and you are um you have to understand that the nature of that sexual relationship might just go against what you said yeah um sometimes the pill fails you know sometimes <laughs> things don't uh you know, they don't work. Yeah. Um, and so uh, short of getting yourself a vasectomy or getting your tubes tied, whichever end you're on, um, you know, that sometimes it's not up to you, yeah. <laughs> the child thing. And uh, so originally I wanted, um, I said I either wanted two kids or four kids. I wanted even numbers. We actually have three kids, <laughs> but, um, but we do have a fourth that uh, between um, Lily and Luke that that we never got to hold so uh, so we did end up with four we just didn't get to raise four yeah. but there was another question here that i wanted to bring up somebody said this is a great conversation for old people but you don't seem to understand how many ran through women and feminists there are now in the church young christian <laughs> women aren't the same as their grandmothers first of all first of all i resent this old people i'm 43 Excuse dude me. he's calling me a grandma well Jeez. hopefully in a few years i will be a grandma <laughs> i hope well here, here's look and, and and i'll here's here's what i'll tell you everything we're talking about right now all right now let, let's say everything you just described is absolutely true right i won't even i won't even contradict it. i'm going to i'm just going to assume right now that everything that you just said is absolutely true what have we said that's incorrect? What have we said that is wrong? I, I don't doubt for a moment that it may be harder both for men and women to find people that actually believe the things that we've just discussed and are willing to have those conversations. I'm not arguing it's harder today than it was when, when we got married in 1999. But what have we said is wrong? I want to bring up another side of this. Um, just from the perspective of the so women who already have a child and you're meeting these women like you're i guess they would qualify as your ran through women who they've already been through a relationship and they've got kids as a result of it or what um i completely sympathize with the idea of 
not wanting somebody else's baggage, right? Not wanting to have to deal with the damage someone else has done. Um, but let me say something on the other side, if I can get through it. <laughs> I might not. One minute. So I was one of the kids of that kind of a relationship and I would not be who I am. I'd be a completely different person if my dad had, if my stepdad had had that mindset. And I am so grateful for him. And if you can be the type of man who would love those kids, you could make all the difference in the world. So... Go ahead. No, I, I think um, Nick, Tina, and I all grew up with divorced parents. Um, Hamilton is the ex- which is insane if you think about it. That like we've got four people at this table, and a majority of those people grew up in divorced households. And I love my step parents. They, I, I said this earlier in this podcast that like I think they brought out the best in my biological parents. They both both my biological parents ended up getting remarried. And then they both ended up having kids with those marriages. So I've got a bunch of half siblings. I've never viewed them as half siblings yeah, though. They've, me too. I've they've got, always been just siblings. I've got I've got yeah, seven half siblings. Yeah. I never You're, think of them that way. Nick's, <laughs> Nick's um Nick's siblings are like as young as me. <laughs> I, I have I have one brother that's actually younger than my oldest daughter. So it's like, Which Dad, is, come on, man. <laughs> but like to to Tina's point. And that, that was such like an emotionally powerful point. Yeah, I'm really I, sorry, you guys. No, I, <laughs> no, not I at all. feel it. And and it's uh, maybe it's because men and women like exhibit emotions in a little bit different way that like men internalize it usually more than women do. But like I, I Tina, I feel everything that you said there because like my stepfather, um, Dale, who's probably like one of the most wonderful men that you could ever meet, very strong moral compass, hardworking he has like filled all of those roles that Nick has uh, talked about in this podcast so far. And he raised this family, this family that had been broken. It was just me and me as a little kid. I was like five or six and my mother and, and he came in and, and he had my sister Reagan with my mother. And, and now we've got that family. I've, I've also, I, it's not like I don't have a relationship with my father and his yeah. stepmother and, yeah. and I love my, my stepmother. She's, she's been phenomenal and they have, two kids as well. So I'm one of four, but like, if it weren't for that, I, I don't think I'd be at this table if it wasn't for Dale, because I, I didn't get to grow up with my dad. I only got to see him in Christmases and Thanksgiving and in summer. And that was it. I only got to see him on, I lived with my mother and they lived in completely different States. My dad lives in South Carolina. And so I, I did not have like a stable father figure in my life at all until until Dale came along. It wasn't because my dad was, was unwilling to do it. He wasn't an absentee father, but he was divorced. And, and so I didn't get to see him that often. He, I, I, I only got to see him when I wasn't in school and, and Dale filled that role. And if he hadn't filled that role, I mean, the statistics are really clear on that, Mm -hmm. that children in divorced households, especially divorced households where there's not a stable step parent that loves them and raises them. They are, statistically way more likely to get off on the wrong foot. And I don't just mean like get in trouble with the law, though that's also yeah. higher. I mean like do worse in school, end up 
not being able to hold a job more likely or falling victim into in, into you know abuse or drugs or, or something like that and, and basically just you're you're dealt a terrible hand mm-hmm. and it's not even the child's fault it's because the factor is completely out of their control my parents got divorced when i was an infant yeah. i have no memory of my my mother and father being together and so it's the, i think I'll, I'll end with this and then hand it back to Nick. Like, I think the reason that, that it's important to bring this topic up on this type of podcast, because we mostly do political related stuff, is because this spills out and affects things that affect everything in society. Yeah. Well, and, and I think to, to Tina's point, too, I, I you know, I, again, I, I think I think we have to some degree over idealized. um you know, what, what marriage is supposed to be and what the perfect spouse looks like mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And that's why, again, toward the end of this, I'm going to get into the... I know what you, the perfect spouse looks how like. How do you know? I'm He's get, right there across the table from me. I'm going to get into the, <laughs> how do you know they're the one, yeah. right? But um, to Tina's point, um, the one thing I would say is that uh, obviously it's perfectly fine. This is why we say when we talk about preferences, what would we yeah. prefer? You, you Preferences are not deal breakers. Right. Expectations are not deal breakers, right? They're, they're, they're ideas, they're paths, there's conversations that you have. You may find that you absolutely love that woman, that, that single mom or that single dad or whatnot and their kids. Yeah. You may just find that like, oh my gosh, this is what was missing from my life and have a beautiful and wonderful relationship. So it's, again, we're not telling anyone, don't consider that. We're, we're all of the questions, again, all the questions we go over, this is why I will continue about this. What is wrong with the questions we've encouraged people to ask mm-hmm. and, and, and displaying that honesty with respect to w- what happens within those, yeah. those questions well, and, and, and how those questions, which may be surface level fairly, how many kids do you want to have? Like Tina articulated that beautifully. How many kids do you want to have? I don't want to have kids. Okay. There might be a story behind that. That'll tell you something more about that yeah. person that you really need to know. Yeah. I would. I was really, really blessed with, uh, you know, parents that have stayed together and been committed to each other, um, but also very blessed with a mom as well who helped me kind of see 10, 15 years down the road uh, that some of these questions that we're asking today, if they're not in alignment for the future, they have like serious repercussions and things that, you know, things happen which, you know, affect everyone. Um, you know, I talked to my my best friends down in North Carolina quite often. And, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, they would always say, oh, well, you're too picky. And I eventually got to the point of saying, I have requirements, but then I have preferences. The preferences are fungible. The requirements, I'm sorry, I can't, can't do away with those. And it's because those requirements are there for a reason. The worldview needs to be lined up. The, the faith needs to be lined up because the faith and where our opinions and beliefs come from inform everything, how kids are raised, how committed we are to each other, what the purpose of this relationship is. Um, And so I I think what's just been displayed here that really stood out to me is that these questions are important because decisions are made based off these questions and decisions that are made have consequences and they could be really, really good consequences. But they could also be really, really bad ones. Mm -hmm. And our desire to serve our own interests right now when we're younger can't supersede the desire for peace and stability and down, down the road with your future spouse. Yeah. Well, I think another, uh, another thing I want to talk about real quick is, is just having the discussion with somebody about how you're going to solve 
conflicts, right? When you get stressed out, when you get, when you get upset and we talked about this, but we also had to work through it, especially our first year of marriage. Um, and, and Tina had this statement that, that she wanted from me very early on. And she's like, look, I know we'll disagree. I know we'll, we'll have arguments sometimes. I know sometimes I might even be wrong. Right? Um, all I ask is that you talk to me like I'm the woman that you love. And that was really that was really important. And we we actually saw this once with a, another couple that um, at, at that time was having kind of a, a rough time. And and we were we would watch how we we argued with one another. And they brought it up. They made fun of the way Nick and I argued. They make fun of the way Nick and I argued because they would get brutal with one another. I mean, the things they would call well, one another. Can I things- say one thing to that? There's this like meme, not 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 a specific meme. It's it's more of a trope that exists all over the internet, but also like within society that I hate to be completely honest, which is the whole, my spouse hates me and I hate them. Why are yeah, you still married at that point? That How many times so have bad. you seen like memes or jokes? I, I've, or, I mean, I haven't. That's one of my biggest pet peeves. And is, I see it with older people. Yeah. They're mostly the boomer memes that go around on like Facebook. They're not younger. Well, let, let me let me yeah. finish kind of the story, right? Okay. So we they would we would watch them argue and like they would call. I mean, they'd swear at each other the whole day, like bad, like calling you, each other. You need a little context. This couple stayed with us for a little while while they yeah. were leaving. Yeah, uh, and and so and so we we kind of got to see all that. And then they used to joke that like when Tina and Nick fight, it's like, but babe. But sweetheart, honey, honey, you know, and, and part of that was again, a conscious decision and, and something Tina said to me early on that made a lot of sense, which was we're, we're going to argue and, and, and we we're very adamant because both of us are pretty strong minded. Um, we don't, the, the whole, like, don't go to, don't go to bed angry. The other thing too, is like, there is no, this, like this whole, I'm going to go sleep on the couch. Nope. Uh, nope. Nope. Uh, that, that ain't happening. Um, so we've had times where we, that means we've been up till five o'clock in the morning, working it out. Like as far as, <laughs> I don't mean that a bad way, <laughs> five o'clock in the morning, like going through the argument and everything else. Um, but that, that was what we were going to do. But we, we found that as long as we could keep the conversation and, and remember that, okay, you're talking to someone that you love. You're talking to someone that, you know, you're not right fighting. What you're doing is you're trying to get on the same page again. And if you're paying attention to, hey, we're having this disagreement, we need to not be in disagreement, so we need to get on the same page. And that's the point of an argument, is to get on the same page. There is no, there's maybe some things you can agree to disagree on, but a lot of times, you know, whatever you're arguing about, it's not just semantics, it's not just perspective. Usually you're both trying to figure out what's true. And if you're both seeking the truth and you're trying to get back on the same page with one another, it's, it can be a productive um, conflict. It can yeah. be a, a productive debate or argument. I've got, a, I've got a couple of questions here that I want to get to. Um, one is from Dalton Bland. He said, quick question. You've made clear your opinion on Christians marrying atheists, but what is your opinion on Christians marrying Jews and Muslims? I, again, I, I would say that it's, it's the, the term in scripture is unequally yoked. It's the idea that you still have uh, contradictory worldviews. So it, it's not that it's uh, an atheist versus a, the, a different type of theist, right? Um, the Quran has different answers to marital structure than, than Christianity does. Uh, Judaism has different answers to marital structure than, than Christianity does, although it's, it's much closer in many respects. So that's, that's really the ultimate question you're asking is, is where is that, where is that ultimate or foundational source of, of truth, um, love, moral law, all of those things. Again, my, my, my position is, 
Um, I just, I don't think it's wise. I, I don't think it's wise. Now, we can always point anecdotally to somebody that that either you know maybe has a good marriage or uh, maybe things changed over time. Not to mention the fact that I would say that in our worldview, if you're if you're married to someone that is not of the same worldview, you're a Christian, they they have a different worldview. That doesn't mean you get to get divorced, right? There, there's still there's still sacredness in that institution, right? Um, but but that's that's the point that I would say it's it's not just atheism versus theism. It's, it's the idea of being equally yoked with somebody that, you know, you are pulling together and, and you're pulling together with, with the same reliance on the same source for, you know, truth, moral law and, and things like that. Uh, another question I want to get to here is, um, Leroy's question. He goes, Nick, there's nothing wrong with the questions, but our past does affect our future. A lot of us are tired of the quote, born again, virgins, women with high body counts are a bad, bad church or not. Okay. Totally get it. Like as a woman, I get it, dude. I yeah. get it. It sucks. But other women are out there. And so, okay, just check that one off the list. You can't don't so, go for then. Go for somebody else. Two two things I would say. That I think sounds like a comment from the whatever podcast. <laughs> well, two things two things I would two things I would say to this is that um And I don't mean that as an insult. <laughs> I, I know, I know that is a, I know that is a, a reality that has become all that more prevalent within society as a whole, and also within parts of society that you wouldn't expect it, like the church. Um, so I, I'm not negating that this has probably become a far more significant issue than it was in 1999 when you know I, I was getting married. Um, all I can say is that uh, again, there, there's you can't control what other people do, you can't control what you do. Um, I can also say that there are people out there. Um, that had have made this the hopefully the same choice you have with respect to preserving that for marriage, which I think is a- absolutely essential. I do think there are you know scientific and biological reasons why it is bad for both women and men. It's bad for them in different reasons, but it is bad for both of them to have what they refer to as high body counts. Um, and and I just want to say something here because this is this is one area where you see a lot of this on uh, shows like Just Pearly Things, Fresh and Fit, whatever, where they're they're constantly emphasizing this to young women that go out there and have OnlyFans accounts and everything else about how bad it is for women to have high body counts. Totally agree with that. Where I disagree with some of their other conclusions is this idea that well, it's just not the same if men have high body counts. It is in my I'm telling you right now, just as bad in some cases for different reasons, if that makes sense. And, and so I, I think it's important that we understand that that standard is supposed to apply morally equally for both men and women. Nothing drives me more nuts than a guy that is speaking truth when he says, look, if you're the sort of woman that is going out there sleeping with a bunch of dudes, it makes you far less desirable as a potential wife. But then that dude goes out and participates in activity, which creates the sort of attributes he doesn't want in a wife. It's hypocritical. It is hypocritical. So all I, and I'm not saying you did any of that. I'm just, I'm illustrating this as a point. So I, I, I can fully appreciate that this has become more difficult, even if I, I didn't have to face that personally. Um, but I, I would say that the two things are one, control your actions and do the best job you possibly can putting yourself in situations all right, where um, you, you are going to come into contact with the sort of people that you want to marry that have the attributes that you would like. And we, we had a whole podcast on this. So I'm not saying it's simple. I'm not saying it's as easy as, as when I went through it. You know, again, we, we have our different things. And I completely sympathize for where you're coming at here. 
Um, because men do, you know, men and women have similar values, but they can be different in different respects. So for instance, men tend to value things like, uh, beauty, purity, uh, and, and it's not to say that women don't value beauty and purity, but when we look at the hierarchy of preferences, those things rank pretty high with men. And unfortunately, a lot of men have been told, well, those are inappropriate preferences. You shouldn't have them. Garbage, garbage. You absolutely should have them. But she also should be able to have, we should also take their justifiable preferences just as seriously with respect to our ability to be honorable, to be loyal, to be, pri to be um, providers, to be protectors. And so all I can say is that, you know, look, you're not going to be able to affect what everyone else does. So when you find yourself in those, those difficult situations, the more emphasis you put on, okay, but how do I, how do I make myself the best I can possibly be? Because it's the right thing to do. And I know that's not a, I don't mean this to be like a simple, frivolous answer. Um, I, I can't imagine how difficult it is for somebody right now, you know, that is, is desperately looking for a good, healthy relationship based off of, you know, common objectives and moral values, because it has gotten more difficult. I, I really sympathize with it. All I can tell you is this. Tina, I have done everything I can, and, and I, we've been <laughs> really happy with the results to make sure that we raise both our girls and our son to reflect those sorts of principles so that they can go and have those very, very healthy relationships and that they can be, they, they can be worthy of the sort of man or woman that we want to be worthy of them. Uh, so I, I, hope, I hope that's worth hey, something. There's a question from um, Special Petal. Um, and she said, I'm assuming she may not be she, but anyway, <laughs> can someone please explain why it makes a person less desirable to have oh, a high body high count? Body count? I'm assuming it's high body count. There's a, there's a couple of things I, I think for, so let me, let me go into my, and, and again, <laughs> I don't, I don't claim to be an, an expert on, on the medical component of this. I, I wouldn't tell you my opinion. And I think it's shared by most of the people that I know. Um, if it, if it's a woman with a high body count, there's a couple of things is that generally speaking, that usually speaks to some sort of um, other issues or problems or insecurities that arose uh, early on within their family background. Again, I'm speaking in generalities. I know this isn't speak to everybody. Um, a lot of times there's, there's been issues with their father. Um, there's been issues with other men in their lives or potential abuse. Um, it, it can also show kind of a flippancy toward the way that they look at their own body and their own emotions. Um, it, it also creates what they call difficulties with respect to pair bonding, which is to say that um, now when all of a sudden they're supposed to be exclusive to you, they have all these other experiences that they're, you know, potentially associating with you or comparing you to, uh, which a lot of, you know, you'll see women on some of these podcasts go, well, that's just your insecurity. No, no, it's, it's a very, very valid uh, concern. Uh, for a man, because I, I will say it's a valid concern for a woman too. Yeah, well, if, I'm, I'm going to get in. I'm going to yeah, get into the so man side of this as well. Both sides on that one. I mean, but but also, if you also look at the conditions that a lot of young men are facing today when they consider marriage, the legal system and the culture is actually really punishes is is set up to punish men within a marital relationship. So if a man is now going into a situation where I am going to be the primary breadwinner and I'm going to provide and we're going to have kids together and then you decide that you're going to leave and take the kids, I mean, the government puts you in a position where they will force the men to subsidize that decision. And so it, that makes it all the more important that before a man enters into that relationship, there's a reasonable expectation of loyalty. And I would say that is, that is if you're if you're a betting dude, you're going to say, look, if she's been with a lot of guys, I, I'm not sure that the loyalty component is sufficient. Now, for, for the woman, 
Because again, men, men get off the hook on a lot of this. Well, well, it's different for men. I would argue that it may be different. It is not um, any less morally reprehensible. And it also, it also presents uh, additional problems with respect to the relationship. My, what I would say is that um, if you want the best, most intimate relationship that you can have with your wife in all of its respects, then she has to be completely um, comfortable and, and ability to um, you know, be vulnerable with you in a way that's only going to come when she has absolute security in you and your dedication to her, which is not simply provided because you bring home a paycheck, right? She wants to be, just like you want to be desired by her, she wants to be desired by you. And, and if you really want to get the fullness out of the, the intimate side of your relationship, then she shouldn't be wondering if you're imagining someone else. And that's not just from previous experience. The other thing I'll say with men here, that's also porn. She needs to know, and I would argue has a right to know, that she is the sole focus of your attention when it comes to that aspect of, of your relationship. And I promise you, I promise you, if she does feel that way, it is going to have positive effects in every aspect of your marriage, not the least of which will be the intimate components of your marriage. So that, that's why I think it's important for both the, the again, the ideal situation is, is man and woman intermarriage as virgins, and then they share that part of their life exclusively with one another. I'm not suggesting you can't have a good marriage if that didn't happen. And like I said, more and more, that's becoming less likely, unfortunately, but that is the ideal. And we shouldn't shy away from the ideal because it's become harder to achieve. In fact, the more we point to the ideal, the more likely we're to get closer and closer to it. Because once again, I, I think this whole idea of, oh, well, you got to find out if you're sexually compatible. What a bunch of garbage. If you love, respect, and honor that other person and, and on all of it in the, in the security of that relationship, that is where you're going to get the best experiences because it's with each other. It's something far more beautiful than just a physical exchange. And it becomes harder to achieve that if it's already been given away to multiple other people. The other portion that uh, we did not mention is the hygiene aspect of it. Yeah, it's, there are very practical reasons. I am sorry, you guys. <laughs> this is where Christian gets into the ick factor. <laughs> listen, STDs yeah. are a thing, and you want to be less likely to get one of those. You get somebody with a lower body count. Period. I, I will. I will say another thing too that that actually does scare men to you, some. I didn't degree. go too far, did I? No, I you got close to the ick factor. Di though. Different, <laughs> different. Di studies range fairly wildly. All right, they go from anywhere from like point, you know, eight percent to eight percent of the population of men are raising children that they think are theirs, but they're not. I was going to bring that up. That, that and, there's and so and so you will you will very you will probably never find a situation where a man and a woman are on a talk show. And the guy looks over at the woman and says, you are not the mother, right? Like that doesn't happen, but it does happen to men. Yeah. And, and you know, again, that, that loyalty it, component. In the, the, the reason that this matters so much from my point of view, not, not, not my point of view, but, but my understanding is that there's this thing called the Bateman principle that, that argues that in terms of like, like biology, there's these things called limiting resources that exist that prevent a population from just exploding exponentially and, you know, taking over the planet. Um, and it, because you need to like put in work in order to get something. So for example, like the amount of food that a region has is a limiting resource for a species to grow. Well, a universal limiting resource for the vast majority of species is 
is actually women. Because unless your species is is reproducing asexually, <laughs> women are a limiting resource to that species' ability to grow. So here's an example. A man, Genghis Khan, here's an example. You can have a man can have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children. A woman cannot have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children. So that is a limiting resource in the sense that there's only an, an, a finite amount of, of children that a woman can have, whereas there's a theoretically infinite amount of children that a man can have. And so what that means is that women have an extremely vested interest, biological interest, in finding a spouse that will actually raise their child because they have to put in a lot more effort to actually raise that child than the man does. They have to put in a lot more physical effort to do it. They're the ones that have to give birth to the child. And then they're the one that has to buy, has to raise that child. Um, and so what what that leads to is, is women prioritizing finding a spouse that won't leave them. Mm-hmm. Whereas men have this, this innate biological urge to just, and I'm not saying that every man does this, right? Yeah. But like they have this this biology. If a man wants to just maximize his his you know reproductive abilities, he just wants to sleep with everybody. Mm-hmm. Whereas a woman, if she wants to maximize her reproductive abilities, it's find somebody stable that I can actually high raise value, a family yeah. with. It, it, high value for men is just sleep around. High value for women is find somebody that will stay with me. Again, we've we're not we're not just animals that are just yeah. blind to our own natural urges and and we've been able to build society and civilization in spite of those biological pre predispositions but what that means is is that we're we're just because we're we're civilized does not mean that we're completely immune from that and so this is why we came up with things like the institution of marriage because it it works to the benefit of both men and women um, in fact, I think it was the whatever podcast that brought this up and Nick, you would appreciate this that like, think back to like the bronze age, yeah. like, like back when you had harems and you had Kings and emperors that could have any prima nocta and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Right. They could, they could have whoever they wanted. You didn't have stable societies when that happened. Right. Because oh, no. you need, how could you, if, if you were a King and you were sleeping around with all of your vassals, wives and all of your, your soldiers, wives, were they going to go out there and fight a battle for you? Of course not. And so we we come up with institutions like marriage in order to create stable societies. You didn't have stable societies when everybody was polygamous. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, if you have nothing to live for, no family to fight for, and your king stole your wife last week mm-hmm. to include her in the royal harem, are you really going to go march out on the field and go fight the Assyrians or whatever? No, you're not. <laughs> and, and so... Well, it, it, you also you also the whole saw purity him. thing and and yeah. and being loyal to your spouse has historical and biological implications that have. It, this wasn't something we came up with five minutes ago and decided yeah. it was a fad and we need to get rid of it in the '60s. It, this has been around for thousands of it, years. It's fascinating to me how quickly some people will look at um, traditional views on certain things and just come to the conclusion that well, this is just an archaic tradition that's no longer necessary. We've essentially grown out of it, or we've modernized out of it. And yeah, it's and like, they're saying this. All while we have the highest rate of mental illness we've ever had in society, the highest suicide rates ever. We've got the highest rates of failed relationships ever. People are are totally demoralized about relationships. So no, we haven't arrived. It's, it's like a we've third departed of from something that was good 
That's and we need to get back there. Absolutely. Let, it's it's like another. a third of Zoomers that identify as having some sort of mental illness right now, which is yeah. like an, yeah. an all time high. And they were raised in the most broke by, by the most broken generation in terms of marriages mm -hmm. ever. Millennials and Gen Xers have the highest divorce rate of any generation before them. Well, and one of the points I wanted to make is that it's, it's amazing how a lot of these, again, what people seem to kind of consider to be either religious or archaic moral standards, lo and behold, have a whole lot of practical significance. <laughs> and, and it's like, do you think that's by accident? Like, do you, do you honestly think, whether you're an atheist or whether you're a theist or whatever, they, like, do you think, do you think God was just sitting there going, you know what, I'm just going to arbitrarily make this bad. Or, or do you think that there might have been reasons for it? Or, or even if you're looking at just, just social traditions. Now, some social traditions could have bad reasons or could be outdated. But you should probably ask the questions, gosh, if, if people were doing a certain thing, why were they doing it? Right, at least ask that question, and you could come to the conclusion that it was a bad idea. Thomas Sowell talks about, and and he and he took the quote from somebody as well. But um, let me let me get another question here. Uh, this comes from Kevin. Question: What has happened to the fact that women used to be the holders of moral standards? Uh, can I just say, yeah. <laughs> biblically, that was never supposed to be her job. It was supposed to be the man's job. It really was, and so the the. The I issue is I think women got tired of of being told that this is just what men do and women started behaving more like men when they could start you know earning money and supporting themselves they decided to go ahead and dabble like men throughout centuries had been allowed to I, I think so. I think both. I, I would argue. I think both are responsible for for playing. I don't a role. think it's a good thing. Let me say. I don't think it's a good thing. Yeah. I think. But I think we went the wrong way. Instead of men stepping it up on the moral side of it and actually leading their families as the the moral, you know, guide for their family, um, women just got sick of it and decided to go the other direction. I'm not saying that everybody's like that. I, I'm saying that our society as a whole has devolved into this and it's a problem it should never have happened but i think that's one of the reasons it did there was something that i said right before we uh we went live and we were like casually talking about some of these things that we've brought up before like you know like men checking out the disintegration of marriage and stuff like that and how it relates to the topic of this podcast and and i said that um the the biggest problem that i see in in society on this topic over the past couple generations, certainly over the past like 10 years, is that we have told men to act like women and we've told women to act like men. Yeah. And the result has been that we've produced a generation of women that have taken all the terrible attributes that men have. And we've produced a generation of men that have taken all the terrible attributes that women have. And I don't mean all men and all yeah, women, yeah. of course. And I don't mean that, but, but you, you, I think you get where I'm going with that, that the, the problem is, is that we've raised effeminate men and masculine women. And, and it's not like we've taken the good things from femininity and masculinity yeah. and applied them to the opposite sex. We've taken the bad things from those well, you know, and applied them to the opposite I, sex. I think that's true because what, what happened is, is what you, what you found within a marriage. Um, I, I heard this once and this statement will make some people mad, but I think it's kind of funny. They were saying that men, men civilize the frontier and women civilize men. <laughs> Um, and, and it, and it's interesting. You actually, you actually saw this big push as men were moving out of the frontier and it was dangerous and it was starting to become more stable. One of the first things that was done is like, quick, get these guys wives because they're, they're psychopaths without them. Um, 
so, but here's what I'll say. And I think this is important to Tina's point. I actually started looking more at, at this with respect to like women's suffrage movement. Um, first way, what we kind of commonly call first wave feminism versus um, like third and fourth wave feminism. And here's what I, I find is interesting from a historical context. At the same time, the women's suffrage movement was going on. The prohibition movement was going on. And you might ask, why, why were these two things connected? Well, because I don't think women were just fighting for greater equality before the law, which I think was good and appropriate. I, I think there was also a, a rebellion against kind of drunkenness, infidelity, and, and a complete loss of moral standards that was associated with alcohol. Now, I don't support prohibition, but I, I understand the motivation behind it when you when you had a lot of women that are feeling like they're, they're having to carry the burdens that they had to carry, plus do additional things outside of those burdens because they felt like a lot of men were, were falling short of the expectations that they had a right to expect of them. And that's not just on a... I don't think that was just on uh, a, um, like a sexual level. I think it was also on the level of how they came home and treated the yes. family. Women were getting abused. Beaten. Children were getting abused. Yeah. And so I, I think the, the, in, the thing focused on this whole idea of, you know, alcohol as being a, a primary source of that problem and whatnot. And, and that's, that's fine, even though I don't think the, the solution was very good. But I, somewhere along the way, it almost feels like women were not just saying, hey, we, we want to we have you know, equal rights within society and, and equal equality before the law. We, we also want men to step up and, and fulfill some of these responsibilities. And it was almost like a certain sector of men convinced a certain sector of women, well, what if we just let you dabble in the same bad behavior? And, and, and lo and behold, what, what did you get? Oh, you got a situation now where women are expected to be promiscuous, expected to work outside the home, but still have a natural inclination to want to have children and then find themselves in a situation where the expectation is, is that they raise the children, they you know, do all the other things, plus they, they have to bring in an income. And, and the financial expectations around the house is, well, no, 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 this isn't a burden, this is empowering. I mean, you, you got to tell me. You're, you're honestly telling me that the, the most modern, the most modern concepts of feminism weren't weren't influenced by the most lecherous of men, and and that's kind of what it feels. And I'm not letting women off the hook, right? Like I do believe that women have agency and they have everything else. And and again, we we've all got to take responsibility for our own individual actions. But I do think as a movement, it's been amazing to watch how some of the men that shout the loudest about feminism. Yeah, they're the ones that want abortion on demand. Do you, do you think that's because they desperately want to treat a woman with dignity and respect? No, nope, they or do want you think to keep you in they the workplace. They want to sleep around. <laughs> they want to do what they want. They don't want to take responsibility, and they want you to show up next day to work. Yeah. Oh, I found it so hilarious. Not that I support government mandates on this, but I found it so hilarious that after the Roe v. Wade repeal, after Dobbs, um, th there were all these, these woke companies that were like, oh, yeah, we're going to pay to um, – send the the woman that works for our company to a state where abortion is still legal yeah. but we're not going to pay for for uh maternity family leave, leave. yeah yeah like I, like i mean that that is unbelievable but that that was a thing that, that, that like many companies like came out with these policies they're like yeah we're going to fund the abortions but we're not going to fund the raising of the children which is I, yeah, I just because that's, that's what every every woman wants her the pinnacle of her life's legacy to have worked nine to five her entire life for someone else to bring in money. Mm -hmm. That's it. Well, like I said, like the that, problem that to, to me does not sound fulfilling. You, 
I, I feel like society is has been gaslighting women into believing that motherhood is less than. Yeah. That that oh even worse than that taking that, that care of the home and taking care of your family and and pouring your life out for the next generation of society is somehow minuscule and unimportant. It's it's even worse than that. I feel like I feel like that it's it's an act of oppression, and yeah, and that liberation comes from being in the workplace, pushing abortion on demand rather than raising children. Yeah. Again, acting like men, it sums up to to what I said, that that we've raised a generation of women to act like men, and we've raised a generation of men to act like women, and and the results have been disastrous. It turns out nobody's happy with it. No, everybody's mentally ill. Everyone's happy and mentally ill. And and here's the other thing I I would say on this, and this this is another reason why this is an important question. Two of the things that Tina and I talked about before we decided to get married, right? I think it's funny. We've gotten a little off topic. A little off topic. I'm I'm pulling us back. But the chat really did provide us some really good questions, so. Yeah. Keep your questions coming. So, so I, I think it was important that we talked about professional objectives. So, like, I wanted to, I wanted to join the military, and it was important for me to tell Tina, like, I, okay, so I, I'm going to be, I, I need to provide leadership. I need to provide, um, I need to provide, uh, you know, for my family, you know, financially. Uh, I want, I want to go to the military. That's that's the career choice I want to make. And she supported that with the understanding of what that was going to mean for us as a married couple, it means you're going to move. It means you're going to go to going to go to war. It means I had to go to basic training because we were dating in high school, having these conversations. Um, I remember being terrified that this woman that was way out of my league was going to recognize the moment I was gone for three months straight in basic, basic and infantry training and airborne school that she could have done much better. Uh, She, she wrote me a letter every single day in basic training, by the way. But um, I think it was important that we had those conversations about what professional objectives were, what her potential professional objectives were. And then what that also did is it helped us establish what our lifestyle expectations were going to be. Because right off the bat, when you establish that, okay, once we have kids, because we had established that, once we have kids, do you want to work outside the home? And her answer was, maybe, but I, I don't want to have to, to yeah. support. So she didn't say, like you see some people like, well, no, I don't want to work outside the home, but I expect, you know, it, it was, she, she had the built-in expectation that if she wasn't going to be bringing in an income, then that was going to potentially, that was going to limit what our lifestyle options could be. But whatever that limited on the, on the financial side was going to be worth it because of what it meant. Because of the service I was providing on the other side. Yeah. When you have kids, they need to be, they have needs. Your kids have needs. From the time you have, from the time you get pregnant, all the way, all the way up. My big issue is that, um, you know, I kind of feel like you have to view it as a job. You know, raising yeah. and rearing the kids as a job. Um, but there's also the idea that you can you can work outside the home. Two, it just depends on what you want to do. But my thought process was I looked at how much childcare cost. I look at how whether or not the childcare was going to provide the level that I wanted to provide for my child as well, whether or not it was worth the expense, and whether or not I could bring in an, enough income to offset all of that. It's all trade-offs. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I, I decided I wanted to raise my own kids. Um in the daytime, I mean, I wanted more than just the evening with my kids. I wanted to be the one who um, helped form them and shape their ideas. And and I wanted to 
I wanted them to come to me, not to somebody else. And that had a monetary value. Um, so what I wasn't bringing into the home, I also wasn't putting out into childcare. So the, the point being that if, if you view it as your job, it, you know, it all provide it, it's money still. Yeah. It's money you'd be spending otherwise. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's not just that. There's also the cost associated with what happens when the, the raising of the children get completely outsourced to essentially, if not strangers, people that certainly aren't the parents. And, and there and, and look the quote? I, and look, I understand the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the no, world. No, 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 no. I was oh. going to say the whole "don't send your children to." Caesar and Caesar. wonder why oh. they come back Romans. Vody Vody Bachman said you you can't send your children to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come home as Romans. Um I I think that again and and here's another part I want to be careful. I understand that some people are in a situation where they just feel like financially they cannot make ends meet. They're not living in a you know a huge house, they're not driving fancy cars, they don't have fancy jewelry. They're just trying to make ends meet and so they they have to send their Please understand, I'm, I'm not making light of that. I'm not denigrating you or, or anything like that. I'm just saying that that is a cost that has to be taken into consideration. The reality of that cost doesn't change, even though the circumstances may put you in a position where it, it's a necessity. And, and that, that's, all I'm, that's all I'm saying with that. There was another one. Um, what was it? There, there was a good question here. on like, how do you ask questions to determine? Okay, on that, what questions do you ask to determine their mental and emotional health? That is a great. Do they have dyed question. hair? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny Christian says that. My my daughter, who like you know, absolute like straight and narrow, but like dyes her hair like all the time. Um, here's what I would say: spending time with somebody and actually engaging in in like actual deep discussions. Not just talking about hobbies, not just talking about interests, but actually at, talking about what people. And I, I also think another one that's important is spending time around the other person's family um, to understand a little bit about that dynamic. Again, Tina brought this up. When you ask how many kids do you want to have, if they say none, you need to understand that's not a usual answer. I'm not saying it's a bad answer. It's not a usual one. And it, and it can oftentimes be indicative of it's other an things. Yeah. And, and so, you know, asking those sorts of questions um, really helps. And, and then probing beyond it, right? You're not just asking these questions to check off boxes. You're asking these questions to actually learn fundamentally important things about the person you're going to be committing to for the rest of your life. And, and inherent in some of those answers are going to be indicators of, you know, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health. Um, but if you're not having those conversations uh, and you see this too in relationships that start off and get physical very quickly, one of the biggest things that we emphasize to our kids was that the reason, one of the primary reasons you don't want to get physical with somebody, and I don't just mean like the stuff that we're all thinking about. I'm talking about kissing, hugging, like all of that stuff. Wow, you're such a Puritan. Oh my, and, and I get that all of the time, but I, I'm, I'm willing to bet right now that if my oldest daughter, Lily, who's 20 right now, is in a great relationship, we're, we're, we're sitting right here, she would say, I was glad my parents set those boundaries and set those rules. Because one of the things that we expressed to our kids was that, look, at this stage, you don't need to be getting physical with somebody because when you're getting physical, you are making emotional ties to another person and it is inherently disrespectful to you and potentially disrespectful to them and it's disrespectful to the person you're going to eventually marry. And there's, so there's if another you, aspect of that as well. That is um, the minute a relationship begins to get physical, a lot of times your chemistry is now in the driver's seat. And um, 
you know, basically the, all the bodily responses, those are in the driver's seat now. And you're no longer probing the person's mind and learning who they are and learning about, the, you're not asking all those questions are you anymore. That you're not thinking like rationally about, I think that it, it takes away you. You're not thinking as rationally, but, but once you're no longer expending the energy focused on the person's mind and who they are and getting to know them. And now you're focused more on their body and what you and them want to do together in that area, it takes away from getting to know the person and it kind of rushes you into the um, attachment phase. I, you're already attached and you're no longer getting to know each other. I, I think it perverts the whole course of healthy love in the direction of lust. Right. Because, because let's, let's face it, there, there's physical urges and especially when you're younger and things like that, there's, there's these physical urges that are there. And if you start replacing meaningful conversation questions and, and genuinely getting to know and understand somebody for who they are, not just what their body can do for your body, you're, you're automatically putting them in a category where the next time you get to see them, it's all about how they physically stimulate you as opposed to actually understanding them intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. And, and those three categories are going to be so critical for a long-term relationship, not just in the categories of emotional, social, spiritual, intellectual, but also in the physical. Yeah. If you want, if you want to lay the groundwork for an excellent physical relationship with your spouse, invest the time up front, getting to know them intellectually, mm -hmm. because even if it turns out this is the person you're going to marry. You are never going to regret taking that time to get to know them fully before you start to go into the physical realm. And here's the other thing that's really important. If you, if you put off the physical component and you find out that, you know what, we're not a good match, but I still care about you. You are respectful of each other, both emotionally and physically. And so if you do break up, you don't have the same you have baggage. You don't have the same baggage. And, and you were respectful not only of yourself, you were respectful of them. And, and that's a way to, to, again, be respectful of them, be respectful of yourself, and be respectful of your future spouse. If you're keeping those things in mind, that's going to help. And, I, and again, I think with that, that making sure that the person that you're with is, is mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you know, intellectually in a place where you can have a healthy marriage with them, it, it, you have to put aside the physical and you have to focus primarily on those other categories first. There was another question, uh, more of a comment and I'm trying to find it now. <laughs> Real quick, Meg says, LOI, hug my mailman. Well, Meg, I'm not going to say what that says about you, but if you're considering mailing your ma marrying your mailman, you got to hold off that, that physical. No, look, I'm not talking about friendly hugs and things like that. I, I'm talking about things that are, are physical contact, which is, is based off of, you know, if we look at the three types of love, you've got, um, you've got agape, which is like unconditional. You've got phileo, which is like friendship. And then you've got eros, which is kind of that erotic love. I, I'm talking about physical contact with somebody that, that, you know, could be in, in that category. That's what I'm talking about. Not the friendly hug you give to your mailman. Yeah. We, we hug people. That's Unless that mailman knocks twice, then maybe. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Jennifer Pierce said, um, women can have high, high value jobs too, not just income wise, but actual value to society. More women are born than men. We can't all marry and have kids. I agree. I, when I was saying what I was saying about. That's um, actually not true. More okay. men are born than women. Oh, really? There's a hundred and five in the world. <laughs> we, we there's a hundred and five. Oh my gosh. That's true. More, more men are born, but they go off to war and die. Yeah. 
That's that that that's why more men are born than women because they die wow. earlier than women. Yeah. And unless it's in China, they have okay, okay, but we're but yeah, they go we're to the getting point. away from yeah. the, the. So you're what you're basically saying is there's more women in the population than men. Not everybody can do that. So my point is, I agree. Um, I I'm not trying to devalue anything that a woman can provide to society. All I was trying to highlight is that it seems like society is now trying to denigrate motherhood and being a wife and carrying on uh, their legacy. Yeah, I think the, again, this is why when you look at concepts between first wave feminism, it was the idea of don't exclude women from from these opportunities. Right. Don't don't exclude them and because they're women. And now it's going the other way. And so that's what I'm saying is yeah. I, I don't, I absolutely admire women who, um, have various paths. Nick's mom, um, she's incredible. Um, she's a nurse has been for 40 some odd years and she's amazing. There are, I, I agree. There are jobs women can do that, that are incredibly important to society. I'm not denigrating that at all. I'm just saying that being a mother is also a very valid job. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, let me we'll go over a couple things here that are a little bit more lighthearted real quick. One of those things. <laughs> oh, man. Do you want to have animals? This was funny because I think our original conversation with Tina and I is we both wanted a dog. Is that a deal breaker or a <laughs> preference one? <laughs> well, we both wanted a dog. She's about well, she said, well, what about a cat? I said, no, I'm allergic to cats. I will never, ever own a cat. And we have three cats. <sighs> and she goes, what happens when one day you have a little girl and she wants a kitty? I'm going to be like, well, I'm going to get her the, you know, that's going to be the most barkiness kitty ever. It's going to be a trans kitty. <laughs> it's going to be a dog that identifies as a, you know, a calico. No, and now, now I have three cats. Why? Because my little girl <laughs> started feeding a stray cat and that took us on this oh, journey. Th- okay. We were raising chicks in the brooder. Yeah. And there was this kitty trying to stay warm, came into our garage, climbed into the into the box with the chicks and was curled up with the chicks with the heat lamp on it. Um, just trying to stay warm. Didn't one hurt night. any of the chicks. It was, and that was it. It yeah, was all was over. It. Molly Lulu became the gateway cat. And now we have three cats because of Molly Lulu, because she made such a wonderful impression. Yes. And, and Molly Lulu. And our was, cats are cool. Well, one of them's a little neurotic and weird, but, <laughs> um, but they're also outside cats. Okay. So now everybody will enter the chat that says that cats should not be outside. And I'm sorry, Don't but care. I disagree. <laughs> when, when you live in a rural place, I mean, if you're yeah. like in a city or a suburb, I, I, it makes more sense for them to be indoors. But like we live, Culpeper is a pretty rural area yeah. outside of the town, at least. And like, I mean, our cats that my mother and, and stepfather um, have, well, they used to be our cats before Reagan and I moved out, but like they're, they're out. To, well, one of them kitten is not, but the other, the other two are outdoor cats. One of them was a feral cat. So, yeah. um, like, like that's the, the broader thing though about animals, like obviously that's not a deal breaker thing, right? Yeah. That's, that's just like a preference, uh, component. Oh yeah. No, no, that's not a deal breaker. <laughs> I don't know for some people it might be, but it wasn't for us. There, you know, there's one of the, we're, we're going to, there was one other thing too, that, that came up that I kind of saw in the chat and, and it was one woman talking about kind of expectations and and what happens when women start, you know, again, you get married, you're young women start having children and stuff like that. And, and it was the whole idea of, you know, does, does pregnancy, you know, ruin a woman's body. And can I just say something right now? Um, the, the answer to that question for me is emphatically no. Oh, and I don't have a knife to his throat right now. No, There's no, no gun any, under the table look, aimed at Nick right now. 
Look, now, is, is physical attraction important to both men and women? Yes. Would I, would I argue that it's probably higher up on the scale for men than it is women in general? I think the answer to that is yes. I, I think men put a, a high value on physical attraction. Um, and and I, I look, any guy that is not just a, quite frankly, a dirtbag, um, does not look at his wife after she's had children with, with less desire. You know, obviously, change, physical changes happen that there, there is nothing that can be avoided. Now, look, I, I, I will also say this, and this is something for both men and women, right? So this is the part where everyone cheers like, yeah, that's right. He's right on. And, and I do believe that that's absolutely true. Like any, any man that is looking at his wife and, and like you're not desirable anymore because things happen during pregnancy, you're, a, you're a, just a douchebag. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, you are. You're just Tell us a, what you really just, think, oh, Just an ass. Um, but... By the same token, look, I, I do believe that men and husbands and wives should always continue to try to be attractive for their spouse. I think that's important. I, I think it's showing. I think it's showing respect. Um, what, what you when you did when you got married, part of what you did when you got married is you gave exclusive rights to the other one with respect to you're the only person I'm going to be with for the rest of my life. And and I know that. You know, there, there have been there have been times where when I got in the military, I joked with Tina. I was like, "Take a good look, good look, babe," because no one's making me run five miles a day, and this is as good as it's ever going to look. And I remember feeling kind of convicted about that in my forties, where it was, "No, I, I have an obligation to stay in shape, not just because it's good for health reasons, good for work reasons. I have an obligation to stay in shape for my wife because You're only forty-three. I know, but but because I I want her to um I, I want her to be excited about you know, how I look and I want her to know it's for her. And, and I, and I think that's, I think that's important. And it takes, it takes work. It takes effort. As you get older, it sucks. Oh my gosh. My, my son and I go to the gym and Luke and I will, we'll, we'll go to the gym and we'll both be working out. And the next day he'll, he'll be like a little bit sore. And then the day after that, he's fine. And three days after that, like I climbed the stairs to get to the studio and I, I almost trip and spill my coffee because we did leg day a week ago. No, no was, you do spill your coffee. <laughs> But I, I do think you do. I, I would I would just say that look you know to, to ladies out there um, because I, I know there's 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 got to be this kind of thing where you you feel like gosh does does he does he even want me anymore what and and can I just tell you especially like right after pregnancy I remember when we had our first child sometimes man and I'm the oldest of nine so it's not like I was unfamiliar with new babies being around so but I'd never been a a husband and a father in that situation before. And oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. Still to this day, completely, you know, desire my wife. Um, but especially sometimes after pregnancy, we're not sure what to do. We like, we don't want to hurt you. <laughs> um, oh my goodness. No, I'm serious. Like, look, these are, these are things that need to be said because honestly, they're not talked about enough. Yeah. And I think a lot of people live with silent doubt and, and wondering. Um, and, and, uh, you know, for what it's worth, I mean, gosh, don't, don't wonder. I mean, I, I think talk for, about it. yeah, talk, talk, about, talk it. about it. There's like, like some of these conversations will be difficult and, and you need to be prepared to, to you know, yeah. to, to hear things like, um, there's been times when Tina's had to have discussions with me, like, you know, baby, you do this and I don't like it. Like I used to smoke a pipe like a lot and it was like, honey, for health reasons and for other reasons, I don't want you to do this anymore. Um, and it was one of those things where that kind of sucked. He gave it up a hundred percent just for me. <laughs> that kind of sucked, but it, I, I'm really grateful for it because I, I feel a lot healthier now. I, you know, when I get sick, it's not as you know long ado because it was, it's bad for you. But so be, be prepared to have somebody say, actually, you know, Hey, this or that, 
but it should always be spoken from a position of love and from a position of like, you know, the fundamentals and the foundations are always strong. And it's never going to be comfortable. Yeah. Anytime you're being told that something is a miss yeah. and you're doing, doing or not doing something that the other person wishes you would do or, or right. wants you to stop doing, you're always going to feel a little bit offended at first, but you've got to have the humility to well, recognize because there have been things, you know, you should always check. Isn't your, all just one way. It's, it's gone no, both yeah. ways. You should, but, you should always check. You should always check before you say something, before you bring something up. You should always check. Is this really important? Is this a long-term thing or is this something? And I'm not just talking about the physical. I'm talking about yeah. quirks and stuff. One of the questions we have on here was about like quirks or pet peeves. Look, your spouse is never going to be perfect. They might snore. They might, you know, yeah. click their teeth. They might do something like there's certain things where, you know, come on, let's sometimes you just got to get over it. Oh yeah. You, you should probably kind of zip through these questions really fast. You don't have to give answers on them, but kind of zip through some questions. Who is primarily responsible for cooking? Right. That was one of the questions we asked. Like, who's going to like, is there any, what is the expectation? This is another one that's very, very important. I saw, I saw a reel on this the other day that kind of broke my heart. It showed, it showed a woman, she was all dressed up, very nice, you know, elegant dress. And then she's like doing these images in her heads of her, like making the beds and folding the clothes and doing the laundry and washing the dishes and the whole thing. And she takes off her wedding ring and throws it in the trash. And it was this whole idea that there was this exp and again, it goes back to what we were talking about before. I'm working outside the home. Plus I'm responsible for managing the home. Plus I'm the one that's primarily respond. One of the things that we tell all, you know, our kids and one of the advice we give other young couples that ask us about it is this idea that, okay, I'm responsible like in our relationship. Tina was going to be the one primarily responsible for managing the home. I was going to be the one primarily responsible for managing the occupation that provide the primary source of income. Primary responsibilities. That doesn't mean. That does not mean there is no secondary responsibilities or, or alternate. So there was ideas where it's like, okay, my realm is going to be primarily, you know, chores outside the home. Even though now that's not right because Tina loves, we got a really cool zero turn lawnmower. <laughs> I've always been the one that mows the lawn yeah. and I'm also the one that grills. And I do the ironing. I do the <laughs> ironing. So again, there, there can be some areas that don't fit into what the typical things might be. But one thing I will tell men is that um, I, I was, I was watching one woman talk about how she felt that it was horrible that she had to always thank people for helping her around the house. Wasn't it their responsibility too? And I would say it's important to establish primary and alternate responsibilities. So my primary responsibility is not the maintenance of the house. That doesn't mean I don't help with the dishes. It doesn't mean I don't help clean up the house. It doesn't mean that I don't take out the trash. And, and Tina's grateful when I do that. Likewise, there's additional things that Tina does because Tina's incredibly handy. If there's a YouTube video, she can figure it out. Like she, she put in our entire initial water filtration system. I was very grateful for that because that kind of falls outside the, the normal boundaries of what primary and alternate responsibilities were. And so I, I would say that instead of looking for, instead of like trying to one up each other and well, I bring home the paycheck. Well, I maintain the whole house. Mutual appreciation. This is not competitive yeah. between husband and wife. This is collaborative. And I, I think the mutual appreciation, just letting know, letting your, I mean, we're supposed to be talking about uh, things to ask before you get married, but as a married person, yeah. your spouse needs to know that you appreciate, you see them. Yeah. That you see what they're doing, you see the work they're doing, and that you appreciate it on both sides. And this idea that you shouldn't have to be grateful toward them just doing their job, that's kind of a bitter, shrew way to look at things. I'm sorry. I I think you 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 reap more benefit if you appreciate one another and you vocalize that you see what they're doing and that you're proud of them or that you appreciate what they're doing or that you admire them. It, like oh yeah. they both need to know that. 
If you emphasize gratitude and admiration in your marriage, you're far more likely to get the sort of behavior that you would like to see. Yeah. And so the, other, the, the last couple of things we'll end with here is the second one was, and Tina brought this up, a lot of these questions that you ask, you ask these initially, but they're going to change over time. Yeah. So get the deal breakers in line. All right. Then get the, then get kind of like the, the your, your top tier preferences, expectations with duties and responsibilities, get that in line and then understand what some of the other preferences, things might change over time. I actually like to cook a lot more than I used to. Uh, the first 10 years of our marriage, I never cooked. Now I cook pretty yeah. regularly because like, I enjoy it. There are some really important questions. For instance, um, who's going to be primary? Pr how are you going to educate your kids? Yeah. Are you in agreement on educating your kids? Um, also, do you expect to have dinner as a family every night or how many nights a week do you plan to have dinner as a family? Um, do you believe in corporal punishment? Do you, are you going to spank your kids? Yeah. Be on the same page on this stuff. Um, will we have animals? How many? We already Wait, talked celebrating, about that one. Celebrating holidays with families. This is, this is a big one because that can be really stressful for especially a, a, a young couple, especially when they move away from home and they've got to travel to go spend holidays, come up with some sort of system that's fair yeah. and that makes sense. And, and yeah. Another one is budgeting. Who's going to manage the finances? Are they going to be all in one big pot? Is it going to be a little bit separated or divvied up between things? Who's, who's responsible for, for, you know, hitting send and paying those bills and managing all of that. Um, and then what was another one? Who's responsible for taxes? That's oh a, yeah, that's doing a big that. one. Tina How, did the do taxes. you want property? Are you somebody that wants land, or are you somebody that loves the city? Do you love the city and you want a condo, or do you want land in the country? These yeah. are kind of important things to. Yeah, I would. I would say things like city life versus rural life. That's that is like that is a more important question than people give it credit for. Um, also understanding like things like introverts versus extroverts. A lot of times introverts and extroverts get married. I tend to be a little bit more extroverted. Tina tends to be a little bit more introverted. None of us are like so far on the scale that we can't enjoy aspects of the other, but understand how those things work together. Mm -hmm. Men, I, I will say this, this is, <laughs> this is a question that won't probably get asked when you're dating, but it will come up when you're married. Men, if you're the extrovert, you need to understand something. Uh, your two beer self with your friends will make plans that your introvert wife is going to have to make good on. And you better be real careful about that. <laughs> Ask him how he knows. Oh my God. Okay, so um, <laughs> there was another another point to make, and that is what kind of allergies or illnesses or medical conditions do you each have yeah. that need to be accounted for in the relationship? Like what, what are we getting into? Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think that's, that is, uh, those are some really important things, yeah. um, to talk about. And obviously some of these things like, oh, what's your ideal vacation? Like what kind of hobbies do you like? What, what are your pastimes that you like? Like, if you know that the guy that you're marrying loves to hunt, you better be prepared for the fact that you are marrying a hunter who is going to be hunting all through the hunting season. He's going to smell like dough urine for a month out of the year. He's going to be bringing you home things to, you know, skin and clean up and cook. Yeah. Right. Unless he wants to cook it either way. I mean, or I, unless he's bad at being a hunter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. that's the, so, yeah. 
And are these things you like doing together? Yeah. You know? Yeah, so. finding finding things and projects you like to work on together and then finding your proper role. Like again, Tina, Tina can read instructions, follow them, put it put things together very I'm not good at it. We we've learned that there are some projects we are better when we have our separate roles. There's other projects where we collaborate on better. But fig, figuring all that stuff and that's also one of the things if you're doing those things together before you get married working on something or, or, or spending time together and projects and things like that. That's, that's beneficial. Shouldn't you know a lot of these things well before you get married? Yes. Like, yes. like, like that's the these point. These are questions like, like, to ask somebody it, you're going to potentially be in a relationship and with. And some of these things are not necessarily deal breakers, but they are big issues. Like my, my mother and stepfather, my mother would much rather prefer to live in probably an urban or suburban environment. Maybe not now, but when she was younger, she certainly yeah. did. And my stepfather wants to like, just live in a, you know, log cabin in the middle of the mountains yeah. in the woods. <laughs> That's kind of and and he's really into hunting. He's actually a good hunter, but um, but like my my mother for the longest time did not ever want to eat venison. She had she had to oh. like slowly I move love into. Venison. I mean, she likes it now, but yeah. I remember like ten years ago or fifteen years ago, she did not want to touch venison, and that was that was kind of a point of contention because. He would bring home, like I said, he was a good hunter. He would bring home deer every hunting season. And nobody else wanted to eat it other than him. I ate it. Reagan ate it. Um, but My dad used to make venison burritos. They were amazing. He would make the beans from scratch and Venison's the meat from good. scratch. And he would get those big old giant tortillas. Yeah. And you'd have just... We, I remember being a little kid. You just had like juice, like pouring <laughs> yeah. down your elbows as you're eating it, and it was really spicy, but you loved it anyway. So you're eating it and oh, crying. That does sound good. Yeah. Oh, it was so amazing. When, so, so like all these like questions. There, I, I said earlier, like you know, you need to know these things. It was a question, like like you need to know these things well before you get married. And then you said yes, like some of these things you're probably going to learn later on than others. Like the, what are your interests? Oh, I'm into hunting or, Oh, I want to live yeah. in a city. Like those are things you'll probably learn much quicker than some of the other things. So like it, it, it does it get to a point where enough non deal breaker things collectively become a deal breaker? It they can. can. It can. Yeah. But it, uh, especially yeah. okay. Well this is the part me, where, this it, is the part where understand something. It doesn't mean the other person is deficient. Listen. It means they're not a good course. match for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. It just <laughs> means the when you compare these things though, and you compare the answers for both people. So really I think we should probably put out some kind of a chart or like some kind <laughs> of a a worksheet work for people because I feel like the two people should Fill this stuff out totally separately and not discuss it first and oh. then come together and compare. I think where the problem lies is when on the non-deal breaker issues is when one person starts seeming very unyielding and the other person's yeah. going to have to be the one to bend all the time. Yeah. That right there becomes a red flag. Yeah. If your if your interests, objectives, and other things are not really matching up really well, there's a ton of pet peeves. I mean, that's that's one thing I tell people is like, look, you gotta. One one of the things I appreciate about the military is that if something really bugged you, uh, we would relentlessly harass you about that thing until it didn't bug you as much because you needed to be able to operate. And and again, I'm not saying that's a perfect, you know, <laughs> I'm not saying that's a perfect comparison for relationships, but there there is something to be said for letting certain things go and then also opening your mind to things. Um, there, there, again, there are things that I like now 
that I learned from being a husband, from being a father that I, I wouldn't have uh, presumed I was going to like before. Although he still hates casseroles and I'm not allowed to make casseroles and I like casseroles. You can make them. I'm just not going to eat them. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, actually, there are two things that are classified as casseroles that he does like, and that is lasagna and enchiladas. <laughs> But oh, those are it. those are great. Yeah. Tomorrow's gonna be Cinco de Mayo. You but know. no other casseroles. He and he hates cheese on his eggs, and he doesn't like potato casseroles okay. or any of that. I'm not, He's look, so right. You don't like cheese. I grew up if it's not knowing skillet, that if it's you a, had to put cheese in eggs because I thought it would just came like that. It wasn't yeah. until I got older That's that a I real hybrid egg you got there. <laughs> no, it's yeah. It's. I'll, yeah. I'll ask a final question to kind of kind of lead wrap us, us off. Up. Wrap us up. I think uh, in my generation and younger, there is a, a significant hesitancy to addressing these questions early on. Mm -hmm. And that any attempt made towards asking these questions or landing on uh, a decision on these things is too quick. It's too uh, forward. Because yeah. everybody has to pretend they're not in this looking for a spouse. <laughs> right. And it, yeah. it, it, it has never made any sense to me that I need to pretend that we're just hanging out. We're just doing this for fun. We're, we're just doing yeah. this for fun. Yeah, we might accidentally I, get married one day. So for me, I, I would prefer to get to these questions like pretty quickly. So this, this goes back to why I say the number one most important thing is the religious worldview. Yeah. And, and it's because if you share that, Almost every single religious world I view I know, and again, I, I believe in Christianity. It provides a framework for this right. stuff. I'm not dating someone because this might be fun to hang out for a little while. Like I, I can remember being young, believing that the purpose of dating was to get married, and so why would you ever date someone that you wouldn't consider marrying? Yeah. And people look at me as like, well, that's a little bit lame. Okay, well, 24 years later, I'm 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 happy with my Yo, method. You, it, it, right? it, it has worked out well know, for you. I, I know a lot of people that tried a lot of different methods who didn't like the outcome. So I'm just saying, you know, again, I don't think this works just because it was unique to me. I, yeah. I think there's things about this that actually work. But here, let me let me get to. Um, are we, oh yeah, we got one more question. We get to what about the tendency to keep things or be opposed to keeping things? One of each, both the same. What works? Okay, Sophia, I'm going to try to answer this. What about the tendency to keep things or be opposed to keep? Do you mean like hoarding, like keeping stuff? That's, or that, little? that is what I thought. Okay, Sophia, <laughs> you're going to get uh. me in trouble with Tina right now because I'm the one. I, I don't know why, but I assign more um, sentimental association to things or believe that one day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need that. Mm -hmm. than Tina does. So Tina's much more likely to be like, look, why do we have all this crap here? Like, let's just get it out. And, 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 and again, neither of us reach like hoarder status. Like I'm fine with like throwing things out and whatnot, but I have a lot more old sentimental stuff where Tina's like, why do we, you know, why do we have this? I'm like, well, you know, cause said, no, no, baby, no, we don't need this. <laughs> we don't need these old maps from when you were in whatever training in the military. Why do we need this map? What if I'm ever in that area again and I've got to fight my way out <laughs> of North Carolina? And you need Carolina, to know all the elevations. Right? Or no, oh, here's a, here's a good one. One time Tina and her eagerness. <gasps> oh. One time Tina in her eagerness to no. throw. Th oh yeah, baby. Oh yeah. We're going here. We're going here. <laughs> oh, no. We're going here to, to throw things out, to clean up. Because I'm a purger. I was apparently being too much of a hoarder. Throws out this bag and we, we, we've got it in it the burn pile. It wasn't a bag. It was in a box. It was a box. We, no, 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 no. My story. My story, <sighs> babe. Nick, can you throw this on the burn pile? This is the sadistic part. She had me do it. So I throw this box out there and I set it on fire. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh, one of my army name tapes is in there. Oh, wait, wait. That's a, 
that's a frame of that's my ranger photo with my ranger graduation photo with the patch i wore through ranger school i'm watching it burn <laughs> and i'm so like bad. babe so bad. she comes out she's like, Oh my I'm God. So, so, oh no, and it no, was too late to save it too. It's like, no, no, it's okay, babe. It's not like ranger school was an incredibly difficult course to go through, which challenged me mentally and physically. And I, I'm assuming at this point, the fire is rather large. Oh, so there was no saving it. it there was no saving You're, it. Okay, so. And a part of me was like, I'm really mad right now. And another part of me was like, this is a get out of jail free card. <laughs> the caveat is this. We hit, you know, every time we moved, things got put in boxes. The Things would be wrapped in paper. Well, this yeah. was wrapped in brown paper at the bottom of a box. So it looked like the bottom of the box. And so then I threw a bunch of garbage in on top of it. <laughs> I will never hear the end of this. Like I said, I, I got mad. And, but guys, it, it's, it's been a get out of jail free card a couple of times. Like, yeah. like every, you know, usually it's the guy that falls in this. So every once in a while, when Tina's mad, I'd be like, hey, you remember that time you you made me burn my ranger photo. Okay, <laughs> to that, I, I know that that's that's actually really funny. Yeah. But to that point, one thing that I I think is is worth bringing up on a slightly more serious note is that like, don't let, and again, I'm not married, so I'm not speaking yeah. from personal experience, but I'm the product of a marriage, and yeah. and and and. I, I, one thing that bugs me is when people don't let things go oh, yeah. and then they use it as leverage endlessly. It's like against they're holding somebody. a long list of wrongdoings. Yeah, and there, there's a reason why there's a reason if you why you never forgive. Yeah. I'll end with that. If you never forgive, there's I, a reason why scripture says love keeps no record of wrongs. Yeah. And, and that's not because that's not because the Bible is directing you to, you know, forget everything in the sense that you can't learn from it or be wary or, or whatnot. But it's this idea of perpetually holding something over somebody's head. I say this now as a joke. Tina knows like, I don't, I don't hold any animosity, right, babe? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it really is a joke. But no, that, that's an excellent point. If you are, if you can't let things go, let certain things go uh, within marriage, it, it, bitterness sets in and bitterness, bitterness will lead to a lack of communication, which will lead to a whole host of other things, which are so toxic for a marriage. And it's one of the reasons why asking questions and reevaluating expectations throughout your marriage. It's, it's not that once you get married, these questions stop being asked, they get updated and refined. The differences and the value in this that I can't emphasize enough. The value in this is when you, when one of you wants to make a departure, right from the original plan, which you will, you go back and you say, hey, babe, I know we talked about that. You kind of understand that. It's like, you know, I'm doing something different. It, I'm under obligation to explain why I think this is a better course of action. And I should take the time to explain it and give her the opportunity to, to you know, explain her position and maybe convince me I'm wrong. And so that that's really important. It's really important. All right. I, last point. I think these questions become a lot more important and relevant when you understand that once you've made the commitment, there's no getting out of it. There, there's no going oh, back. Oh, that on is it. one thing we, you, th good point, Hamilton. Well, we me, never, ever, ever use the D word. No. Never. No. Because this is it. He's stuck with me and, and so if, I, I get to keep him. That's yeah. how this works. If yeah. you're, if you're making that commitment, it makes it all the more important that these questions are answered and that they yeah. line up. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's so, not like, because in Hollywood right now, you kind of see marriages just kind of run their course and it ran its course and it's over. That's not how marriage is supposed to be. Listening listening to what's her name talk about the breakup between her and Tom Brady uh, was, I mean, people are looking like, oh, that's nice. They're still friends and they just had different no. objectives and different. I'm looking at this going, this is, I'm sorry, but this is a horribly self-centered view of marriage, which I think both of them had. Yeah. And, and which kind of made it toxic. So, all right. All right, we've gone through we've gone through most of the questions. We've talked about now. Now I get to answering the question of the podcast. How do you know, without a doubt, they are the one? There's a big flashing sign above them that says the one. That's my guess. <laughs> Here it is. Here it is. And when I give you the answer, you need to hear me out and let me explain it. Because I'm right. I knew my wife was the one. When I said I do now, that doesn't mean that there weren't a million indicators up to that point that this was absolutely the person I wanted to spend the rest of my life with, that this was the person that God had for me and everything else. And a part of that was through all of this plus prayer and contemplation and all of that. So I was sure I was sure she was the one, but the moment I said, I do, she became the one. And one of the things I tell people is, when you make this decision, burn the ships. There is no exit strategy. Don't even talk about potential situations where it could be. No, there's no exit strategy. It's me and you. Me and you against the world. You can always count on me. I, I will make mistakes. But if one thing is for certain, it's that for the rest of my life, I'm yours and you're mine. And we belong to one another. And nothing can break that. You, make, you, don't, you don't just find the one. You decide. And that should be incredibly encouraging because it once again reiterates this whole concept that you have power in this decision. That it's not something that happens to you. That it's not something where a circumstances arises beyond your control. It's not where a potential little offense Runs everything aground. It's not when you lose everything in a storm or a natural disaster. It's not where something beyond your control creates an obstacle that seems insurmountable. The one thing you know in this world with another person is they're the one for you. You're the one for them. And whatever it takes, you're getting through it. But when you do, it will be together. And if you go in with that mindset, I promise you it will have such an incredible impact on your marriage. And it's a decision that you will reiterate every day that you're with them. And you will appreciate that, and so will they. I hope, hope you found this episode helpful. Uh, we've seen a couple notes that, hey, maybe we got to put some, uh, maybe we got to put this to paper on some of it. Uh, maybe we'll actually do that. I, I think that, that that'd be really be, cool. We can offer that idea. in our community chat. Yeah. So once again, thank you very much for sticking with us. Thank you so much for your questions. I can't tell you one of the reasons why we wanted to go live with this show is because we wanted more audience participation and it makes the show. Um, I, we love it. So please continue to send your questions, your comments, uh, whether you like what we say, whether you hate what we say, whether you want to add to it, we we love it. We love having the conversation. Thank you very much for joining us, and we will see you next episode where we're going to talk a little bit more about, I think, what it takes to be a good husband and good wife. We've covered some of that today. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe, maybe we'll look at some of the comments from yeah. this episode and see if we need to do another one. All right. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.
Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.